You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. You're going to love today. I'm doing part two of Solomonic Lessons. Solomonic Lessons. I'm surprised I haven't fumbled that one. Last week we looked at the presence of God, how the church needs not just programs, the church needs power. The church was created. Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to wait in an upper room until you receive power. They were eyewitnesses of his life, his death, his resurrection. They audibly heard. They saw, heard, and experienced his teachings. He instructed them. If anybody could have gone out and taught, if anybody could have gone out and proclaimed, if anybody could have gone out and witnessed Jesus's life, death, and resurrections, the healings, the miracles, it was the disciples. And yet Jesus says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power for 10 days and nights. They were in that upper room. Well, they weren't praying in tongues yet. They were just up there crying out in Hebrew. And, uh, and then all of a sudden on the 10th day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, um, the Holy Ghost fell, tongues of fire, and they began to speak in other languages, languages they never learned, and they received power, and they went and turned the world upside down. God's plan for the church is the church to have power. The church did not begin in power and now fizzled out into programs. Fooey to that. The church began in power. It is sustained in power, and I'm telling you, she is going to finish in power. We refuse to step back from power. We are stepping into the power. We are dependent on the power, and Solomon carries the ark of God in this magnificent structure. They call it one of the wonders, one of the great wonders of the world was the Temple of Solomon, one of the most magnificent, majestic houses of worship ever created in the world was Solomon's temple. And yet Solomon said, it is all just structure. It is all hologram. It is all incomplete until we bring in the ark and set it under the cherubim, the presence of God, and the the cloud filled that place. Then we saw that success without a successor is no success at all. That God's command was for us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Reproduction. You and I are called to not only be a disciple, but to go and make disciples. It's a trinity. Someone is discipling you, and you are discipling somebody else. Everything reflects the heart of God. When you're doing that, you're successful. Number three, let me give you number three, is integrity. Integrity. This is what integrity is. Solomon said this in Second Chronicles 6 verse 4. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth. Who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth. Integrity is fulfilling what you promise. You know, there's a saying in the marketplace that we ought to under-promise and over-deliver. The most magnificent thing that impacts Solomon here, Solomon's testimony of God, is the God you lead by example. You lead by example. You make a promise with your mouth, and then you follow through with your hands. You made a promise, and then you watch over your word to perform it. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2, it says that a man is snared by the words of his mouth. A man is snared by the words of his mouth. Whatever you say, when it comes out of your mouth, God is now watching. He has a, a barometer. He has a measure 
of how does your hands follow the words of your mouth. If you make promises but never deliver, you will find that your stock in the kingdom and even your stock in the marketplace begins to diminish and drop. But you will find that if you're somebody who watches and understands that once you make a promise, once you make a commitment, you are now bound to fulfill it with your hands. We work in tandem with God. God, God promises things and then he invites us to be his hands in the earth. The prophetic words that that are released over our church that originally is one church, four locations. I mean, when I saw that, when I heard that one church, four locations, I knew that now God has given me a work. God has given us an assignment. So we land in San Diego. We don't know anybody in San Diego. I'm a little bit bashful and scared to tell people because I'm thinking they're going to be freaked out, you know, because and if I was honest, I was just glad to have one church in one location, let alone one church in four locations. But I just knew that, that God had spoken. He watches over his word to perform it. But now what God was doing was he was giving us the hands. He was giving us opportunity to go out with our hands and construct so that we might see in our lifetime the very, very things that God has spoken. What I've discovered, the Bible says, let let God be true and every man a liar. God is a God who fulfills what he spoke. Then all of a sudden, a few years ago, Pastor John Heinrichs and I were at Dream City Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. We go up onto Prayer Mountain and I go up there. And as I come back down, I come back down with 16 campuses. 16 campuses in my spirit. And even then, on the way up, I'm thinking, this is crazy. There's no, and then on the way down, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can say, because God gives us mission. God gives it the greatest thing you can give your life to is the mission of God. And the mission of God comes out of his promises. God will speak something, and then he gives you and I the awesome opportunity to, with our hands, go and build what God has spoken. Even more than that, what is incredible with God is that God gives us permission. God invites us to be his vice regents where God will put his promise, God will put his word in our mouth so that we can speak his promises into the earth. So don't think that it's just that God says it and then we have to go about doing it. There are times where he says, I want you to speak it and then I'll go about doing it. There are times where you will get up in a meeting, God will say, declare that people are going to get healed today. And you you say, hey, I just feel the Holy Ghost saying people are going to be healed today. And all of a sudden you'll find, bam, bam, now God is working with his hand. The hand of the Lord came upon and the arthritis was healed and the cancer and the tumor was healed and and the power of God. This is beautiful synergy, this beautiful symbiosis that we have with God, that we work in tandem. We work in unity with God. There are times where he speaks and we work with our hands. And there are other times where he says, son, daughter, you speak and watch my hand move. That the hand of God follows the mouth of God. Of God. The hand of God always follows the mouth of God. That's why the devil resists the word of God. He doesn't want to preach in our schools. He doesn't want to preach in our colleges. He doesn't want to preach in our in our communities. He doesn't want to preach in our courts because he knows that where God's word goes forth, guess what? His hand always follows because God is a God who watches over. Jeremiah 1.10, he watches over his word to perform it. And so the devil wants to shrink back. He wants to pull back the word of God. But guess what? We're not just a presence of God church and we're not just a a church of discipleship. We're also a church that understands that the symbiosis, the integrity of God, the nature of God, that when God speaks something, He does it. And so our job is to speak it. The Bible says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless He first reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. 
Surely the Lord God does. Why? Why does He do nothing until He reveals His secret to the servant? Because God's hand follows His word. God's hand follows His mouth. God will first speak a thing and then He goes to do it. Without the word of the Lord. See, Israel was in chaos. And the Bible says that in the days of Eli, a backslidden prophet who failed to disciple and raise the next generation, the Bible says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. But there was a woman who was barren called Hannah. And Hannah went into the temple and she began to cry out to the God who opens the womb. She began to cry out to the God that turns barrenness into fruitfulness. She began to cry out to the God that created a nation, Israel, from a man who was a hundred, who had a wife who was barren a whole life, and at 90 conceived in her womb and brought forth Itzhak, brought forth laughter, brought forth joy, brought forth a breakthrough son. She was, she was the offspring of that promise. So she goes into the temple and she begins to cry out to God, God, I know you did it once. I know that this is part of who you are. I know this is in your wheelhouse. I know that this is your inheritance. I know that this is who you are. And so she begins to cry cry out to God, God, do it again. God, do it again. I know that you closed my womb, but I know that you can open. And she begins to cry out. And so breakthrough happens. She conceives and she brings forth a son called Samuel saying, heard of God. All of a sudden, everything shifts in Israel. Samuel rises up. And instead of the, the word of the Lord being rare in those days, it was only rare because you had backslidden prophets. All of a sudden, there was a kid who was dedicated from his mama's womb, dedicated from a young boy. Every year, mama would come with a new ephod because he outgrew the, the, the old ephod. She would make him a new one. She would make him a new one. Every year she made sure her boy was dressed. Her boy was positioned to hear from God, to intercede from God. And the Bible says in Samuel's time, God's hand was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. The Bible says Samuel was so anointed that not one of his words fell to the ground. The word of the Lord elevated. It elevated, elevated so much that kings were anointed. Giant slayers, Davids were raised up in those days. We are a church that understands the synergy that we have to proclaim the word of God. We've got to be a word of God church. We prophesy into the darkness. We prophesy into our city. When the enemy comes in like a flood, guess what? We know the Spirit of the Lord is lifting up a standard against him. We don't cower. We don't shrink back. We don't cry, sucking our thumb in the corner in a fetal position because the enemy is coming like a flood. We know whenever the enemy comes in like a flood, we just got to look to the Holy Ghost. We got to look to the Spirit of the Lord who's lifting up a standard. And there's no higher standard in the universe than the Word of God. Three times Jesus defeated the devil. It is written. Bam. It is written. Bam, it is written. What we do is when the word, when the enemy comes in, we speak the word right back at him. Because what we know is when we shoot the word out, the power of God, the hand of God can land on the word of God. Where there's no word, there's no power. But where the word is, there is power. We are a word of God church. Can somebody say amen? Number four, number four. He is a personal God to experience. He is a personal God. The church is not just an organization. We're not just a club, a country club, a rotary club. The church is a community. The church is a family. And absolutely, it is all of those things. But I got to tell you, I am here today because I encountered God. I experienced God on a beach. Just come back again and look at this, this scripture. I can't get off it. Second Chronicles 6 verse 4. Solomon blessed the, peop- blessed the Lord God of Israel. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, 
Blessed be the Lord God who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David. God is so magnificent that he, he makes promises to people. I remember when we were serving God in New Zealand and uh, we had a prophet come through and he prophesied that not only were we going to become parents in the next year, we had a five-year plan. We'd only been married a little over maybe 14 months. And he said, are you sure you're not pregnant, darling, to Leanne? She's like, no, no, we've got a five-year plan. He comes back and says, yes, you're pregnant. And I see you needing things to be supplied. He was from South Africa, if you're wondering what the accent is. And uh, I see you needing things to be, I don't know where you live right now, but it's incredible pressure, incredible pressure. God's going to give you a home. God's going to pay your school fees. And uh, we didn't earn enough to get a mortgage or even be in contention to get a home, but we got a word from God. And I knew that it didn't matter what I had in my hand. It was what was being released from God's hand. Well, anyway, sure enough, Leanne's pregnant with our first Jordan. And, uh, you know, he's getting bigger and bigger, but no home, no home, no home, no home. So I'm believing this one night, I'm, I, I think Leanne might have been about eight months pregnant and uh, still nothing had manifest. We're still renting a home. And so I go into the living room and I start praying. And then the word of the Lord comes to me and he says, drive down to uh, Waddle Downs and praise me for the house I've given you. And I'm like, <laughs> just, just one little problem, just un poquito problema. I said, what house? You haven't given, just slight oversight, God. I know you're probably busy with stuff happening in China and third world nations, but you haven't given us. And then God said this. He said, just because you don't see it doesn't mean I haven't given it. Go down and praise me for the house that I've given you. So I go and wake Leanne and throw my pregnant, eight-month pregnant wife in the car and then Lulu, our dog, comes in and she's in the car too. So we drive down to Waddle Downs and what are we doing down here? Well, God says, you know, so we pull up in front of a house that we kind of thought, well, that one would be nice. And so we just kind of pulled up in front of that and, and, uh, and Leanne says, what are we doing? I said, well, God said, you know, to praise him for the house that he's given us. She's like, oh, he's given us. What? Just because we don't see it doesn't mean he hasn't given it. And so I'm just like, praise and it's all awkward. You know, you're sitting in the car. It's like, it's awkward. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for the house that we don't have, but you've given, but we can't see it. And in faith, and God's like, louder. And I'm like, he wants us louder. Praise the Lord. And then God says, get out of the car. So we get out of the car. Now it's really awkward. He goes, go and stand on the lawn. So we stand on the lawn. What I didn't realize was Lulu, our dog, had gotten out as well, and she loves to chase cats. And these people had a cat. So she's racing around the house, chasing this cat. This cat, and then all of a sudden, the porch light comes on, and the owner of the house comes out, and there's Leanne and I with our hands lifted. She's eight months pregnant, standing in the, the, the middle of the lawn, and God had ramped up from louder to praise me in tongues. So we're like, like this. And this guy is just like, with Lulu running around. Now the cat had climbed a tree or something. And so Lulu comes and sits next to us and decides to fertilize his lawn. We get in the car and Leah just looks at me and I, and I swear I didn't blame her. She looked at me like, 
her husband has lost his mind. Tomorrow, the people that come with those beautiful white jackets that, you know, that do up at the back, that take you to a place with padded walls are going to come and take away her husband. We felt so foolish. We felt so embarrassed. But something shifted in that moment. We found that the, the promise of God was to, that God promised us a home, and then we ended up getting a home in Waddle Downs. It was a miracle. It was the beginning. Just, just understand this, that God is a promise-making God because God is looking for a promise-believing people. God is a promise-making God, and He's always in search for a promise-believing people. The most magnificent thing about Jesus Christ is you don't join Islam, you don't join Hinduism, you don't join a religion. You actually experience a God who is the God of the galaxies, the God of the cosmos and the universe, and yet He is so personal that He will whisper promises. He will whisper promises because He's looking for a response. When a, when a baby is born, the baby knows that suckling at the breast is going to find colostrum, is going to find milk. How does the baby know that there's milk there? It, it was created by God. There is milk there because the baby needs it. In the same way, you and I, we, we grow up in a world where if you have kids, you'll find that if the kids are fighting, one of the kids will come running to the, to the parents and say, my brother did this, my sister did this. Why? Because we know that there's meant to be justice. There's meant to be a judge that dispenses justice, that, that treats people fairly. We, we, we know all of these things. And yet sometimes we look in the world and these things aren't, aren't there. They're, they're, they're not apparent. They're not immediate. But we know that there's meant to be justice. We know that there's meant to be provision. In the same way, God is a promise-making God because God created you and I to be believers. We have to be very, very careful what we believe. Be very, very careful what you believe. There is a lot of false prophets. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. Leanne and I have no problem, no problem preaching what we preach, teaching what we teach, because we say, just look at the fruit of our lives. We're not preaching something we learned in a theological seminary. We're not teaching something that we learned in divinity school. We're teaching out of the hard knocks, out of the Bible college of life. We have no right to preach to you about marriage if our marriage is all just a sham. We have no, no, no authority to preach to you on leadership if Leanne and I don't lead from the front. Leadership is always example. You know, in the Ark of the Covenant, there were three things that were in the Ark. The first one was the Ten Commandments. The second one was Aaron's rod that had budded. The children of Israel came and they said, well, hang on, Moses. The reason that Aaron is conveniently the high priest is because he's your brother. He's your brother and you are just showing favoritism. This is a family gig. And so Moses is like, God, what do I do? You chose Aaron. I didn't choose Aaron. You chose him. And God says, all right, get all the tribes to nominate who their priest ought to be. Get them to snap a branch off a tree, write their names on them, and then gather them as a bundle of 12 sticks, lay them before the ark, lay them in the presence of God, come back in three days, and whichever dead stick has come to life, that's the one that I've chosen. So all 12 tribes went and they snapped off a stick and they wrote their leader's name on the, on the thing. And then obviously from the tribe of Levi, they wrote the name Aaron. And then they, let, they laid them in before the ark of God. Three days later, they came back. And when they came back, 
11 sticks were dead, but one stick wasn't just alive. It had budded almonds and flowers. And then the whole congregation realized, oh my gosh, that's the one that God has chosen. Well, that's a snapshot of human history. Human history, Buddha came, Confucius came, Muhammad came, all saying, hey, I'm the high priest. I'm the representative to tell you how to get to heaven. You ought to follow me. You ought to listen to me. And God says, very simple. Let's just snap you off from the source of life. Let's let you all die. Jesus died. Buddha died. Confucius died. Muhammad died. They all died. And he says, now lay them before the ark, lay them before God for three days. The one who is living after three days, the one who's producing fruit, the one who's producing fragrance, that's the one I've chosen. Listen to him. Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You are created to believe. Believe the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. God is a promise-making God. He's looking for a promise-believing people. And the last one, number five, number five, oh, sugar. Number five is what I call the elevator from, from poverty. The elevator from poverty. Have a look at this scripture in uh, 2 Chronicles 1 verse 15. It says the king, in 2 Chronicles 1 verse 15, it says the king, King Solomon, made silver and gold as common as stones. In the time of Solomon, in the time of Solomon, whose name means peace, the king, King Solomon, that's why, that's why, well, I don't understand why a weight in church has to get like politically engaged, like whoever God wants on, you know, no, no, God doesn't vote. And you may say, well, we're voting for this person. God says, well, I'm sorry, I'm just going to override all your votes because this is the person I, I know they weren't on the belt. No, no, no. God gave dominion of the earth to men. If we don't get in involved in the San Diego school board, they're going to start teaching our kids on our school board all kinds of crazy garbage that's going to destroy their lives. If we don't get involved in civic, then the civility of our society is going to go down the gurgler. You need to understand that we've got to be engaged. We've got to be involved because the Bible says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Solomon, Solomon is the king over Israel. And because of his devotion to God, because of his devotion to God, the Bible says that silver and gold was as common as stones. Now, just imagine if there's, you know, you're walking past a homeless guy and he's got his cup out asking for money and you pick up a couple of stones and drop it in there. There you go, Tiger, some stones. I mean, you, you know, walk away, those stones are going to hit you in the back of the head. The Bible says that in Solomon's day, silver and gold was as common as stones. It goes on and talks about the cypress tree and everything was in plentiful supply. In other words, poverty was pretty much eradicated. People prospered, people flourished, people increased because of godly leadership. Do you know the gospel is the great equalizer? The gospel is the great equalizer. The reason the gospel is resisted in the earth is because the gospel causes me to bypass the hand of man. When I got saved, my father retracted. My father disowned me. He was pissed when I said I'm leaving engineering to go to Bible college. So he, he pulled back. And so I then had to realize that the hand of man 
was not going to look after me. The hand of man was no longer going to supply, so I had to go to God. So God became my supplier. The gospel is, is resisted. The gospel is hated by men who want to ensnare, who want to dominate, who want to keep people dependent upon them. That's why we preach the gospel that God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to increase you. Beloved, I pray above all things that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. God is a curse-breaking God and blessing flows where once curse broke. Jesus says, to go and preach the gospel to the poor because poverty is a mindset. Before it is a condition of your hand and your life, it is a condition of your mind. But the gospel is the great penetrator. It is the great liberator. It is the great elevator and it will set you free. We've run out of time. We're about to go into Vision Builders and Vision Builders is an incredible time for you to break out and break into a brand new realm. Join us in Vision Builders. But if you're watching today and your life's not right with Jesus, would you go onto our website today, www.awakenchurch.com forward slash Jesus. Go there, click on that, surrender your life to Christ. God has incredible promise. He's a personal God. He's looking for a believer. I became a believer 34 years ago. And I've got to tell you, once you become a believer, the next thing that happens is you become a receiver. Whatsoever things you believe... Whatsoever things you ask for, believe, and you shall receive them. Receiving always follows believing. A lot of people say, well, when I receive, then I'll believe. Not in the kingdom, my friend. In the kingdom, you believe your way into receive. You believe your way into receive. God is a promise-making God. If you'll believe them, you'll begin to receive them. Father, I thank you for each and every person watching. I thank you, Father, as they step into the promises of God. I thank you for every person in this room right now. Lord God, that you are a promise-making God because you are looking for a promise-believing people to do partnership and to do life with. I thank you for your blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.